Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to another episode of The Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, getting cold and could be snowy, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And we're bringing you a packed show that's going to solely focus on the World Cup for this episode. I mean, there's obviously some other big news stories going on in the world of football just now, especially domestically here in Canada and North America. You've you've got the death, or temporary death, let's say hiatus for now, of FC Edmonton. They've definitely folded for 2023. Garth Lagerway has left Seattle for Atlanta. That's a, a big story in MLS. We'll, we'll chat about the domestic game when we get back talking about that, because there's still more drafts and everything that's going to be coming up in the coming weeks before Christmas. But for this episode, we want to just look at the World Cup. And it's an episode of mixed emotions. There's sadness because Canada have officially been eliminated from contention to lift the the big gold trophy in a few weeks' time. It's an episode of reflection as we'll look at where... The Canadian men's national team are right now and where they need to be with a a nod to looking ahead to 2026. But it's also going to be a an episode of celebration, not just of Canada's first World Cup goal, where we've got a lot of pride in that, especially from the, the man that got it. But my big celebration, Steve, is after today, because we're recording this on Monday, the 28th of November, there's no more 2am and 5am games, and I'm so glad that those are fucking over. Yeah, but isn't it for you, like, 7am, just it's almost the same? Yeah. Like you're not a morning person. No, but I, I can manage 7am. Yeah, okay. There's a slave song. Wow. 7am. Because they didn't know that time existed. So <laughs> I might might dig that one out. And yes, I did drop an F-bomb there. This episode is marked explicit. We're not going to go like way over the top, but I think there's some things that just need some profanity in this episode. And also our wavelength track, which usually has things marked explicit when we have that, is, is going to have that as well. Because it's friends of the show, see you next Tuesday and the gang are, are back with a, a World Cup classic in the making. 
they released it in 2006 and it's not a classic yet, but I hope to get it to, to that classic status. <laughs> but we're going to talk in this part, Canada, Croatia, and Canada headed into the game knowing that a defeat and they would be joining Qatar and being eliminated after Morocco's stunning but well-deserved 2-0 win over Belgium earlier in the day. And we'll talk about that in part two and how the group looks and various issues like that. 90 minutes later, they were eliminated. Or I, I guess we could probably say about 115 minutes later with all the stoppage time and half time. Disappointing, Steve, to be too undone. It was one of those things heading into the tournament we said, we hope they at least get a goal and don't go home goalless. They've ticked that box. I was also hoping that they wouldn't be too undone and that the third game just wouldn't be a dead rubber. But sadly it is, but a lot to be proud of. Oh, for sure. And and you talked about it earlier, you know, the first goal, uh, you know, I, I think it might probably will be the earliest goal of the World Cup in a game. Um, I don't think anybody's going to beat that. Maybe somebody will, but I don't doubt it. Uh, but that obviously uh, kicked off this game great. And, you know, you had about, you know, sure, the, the Croatia tied it up at the 36th minute, but you had about at one half where you were you were level, on level terms or, or close to one half, 44 minutes or so. So you were close to like a half of where, you know, you thought Canada was still in it. But once that second goal was in, it, it was basically, you kind of knew at that point, curtains were coming down. Yeah, the, the tide had certainly turned and it was just like a wave of Croatia pressure. I, what I would say is we've seen four halves of football and Canada have done very well in three of them. Yeah, that second half so. could have got out of hand, partly because they had to open up and go for it. Yeah. But I think it showed the gulf of quality. But three out of four ain't bad just to kind of paraphrase meatloaf. Um, and yeah, a lot to be proud of. We'll get into some of the post-game reaction in the next part. In this part, we want to kind of look at the game because although there's a lot to be proud of, I think there's a lot to question as well. The tactics, maybe not taking a T-bot off at halftime, substitutions, team shape, general uh, approach. First thing I want off, to look at... Well, off the pitch stuff. <laughs> yeah. First thing I wanted to look at is an off-the-pitch thing. Now, this this has pissed me off because of the reaction that it's had in some quarters, and I'll, I'll explain why. So I'm talking about John Herdman's comments after that loss to Belgium. Heat of the moment, he's full of passion after a great performance against Belgium. He's asked what he said to his squad afterwards, and he replied that he was proud of them and that they're going to go... And fuck up Croatia. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with them saying that. I think it's been made, a big mountain was made out of a molehill. Now, I would say... I disagree. Well, I was going to uh, say, I would say it might be something that would have been better kept in-house. Yeah, for sure. So why, why, why do you disagree? Do you, not, do you think it was a bigger thing... I think it motivated Croatia. Out of, out, like the the fact that they admitted it after their win against Canada. Like if it didn't motivate them, like, oh no, that was no big deal. We were going to play, you know, our game anyways, and we just beat them. No, they were adamant that they wanted to beat the like Herdman. And and from what I uh, I remember, call again uh, somebody, and I didn't notice it myself. 
because uh, when they Croatia scored, I really wasn't. I kind of turned my head away from the TV. But apparently, they came and they were celebrating in front of Herman too, and a couple of goals. Oh, I uh, never noticed well, that either. Somebody, at that somebody point, I was pissed off. <laughs> somebody mentioned that not not during the game, but after. Like I saw a recap. I was watching a recap or something. Somebody recapping the games, and and maybe it was on TSN or or it could have been on the internet. But they me- mentioned that they were celebrating right in front of them. That comment is something un-Canadian like, first of all. Um, and so that's the, that's I think a lot of people uh, like people had no issue with that not realizing that you're saying this against a country that's like been at the top of the game of the world in soccer and they have a lot of veterans proud veterans like me saying stuff like they're old they should be in diapers nobody's going to be listening to me but when you're the coach of Canada you can't be saying that stuff I'm sorry and because all you're doing is poking a bear and you don't want even whether the bear is old or whatever or decrepit you st- it's still a bear and you're going to be poking it so I, it still I don't has teeth and claws yeah, exactly and so you're not like i just don't understand why he had to reveal that in the thing i i i at, at that point when he said it i cringed a little bit when he said that i didn't i wasn't sure how it was going to be perceived but you could tell right away when that uh that the newspaper put that on the front page uh, yeah. Herman and everything and right away you knew that this is going to affect it and people are going to take it this is an eastern european country you know, you know, they're not into like if, if you like shoot at them, they're not going to take it as playful banter. They're going to take it as you're going to war with them. And oh, so, I've been to the Bronick. I've seen the bullet holes. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think I, I think this had a huge part to play in the game. See, I think I don't, that I, 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 I think Croatia might have still have won. I don't think they would have gone this like for the jugular the way they did, and 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 a little bit played in a part that they scored 67 seconds in so that really will that really will come up as well yeah the goal or the goal happened the combination of the two they were once that happened they were going all out for them see i i i agree it pissed them off i agree it lit a fire under them and it definitely would have been bulletin board material herdman shouldn't have said it publicly yeah but Oh, he, he could said, say whatever he wants in the dressing yeah, room. I don't really care. He said it because it was the heat of the moment. He was just on a high. He, his yeah. mind probably wasn't where it should be, and he gets put on the spot. What did you say to the team? And he said it because he was getting swept up in, in how the team played. Yeah, I still, said, I, 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 I still think it's a lack of maturity, though, in, in saying that. You should know as a coach, even no matter what you say, behind closed doors, you can't say it in public. Hmm. See, I, I was going to say maybe it's a, a UK thing that we don't mind it as much, but some of my friends in Scotland as well, because it was getting talked about before the game yeah. on BBC, they messaged me going, what the fuck's your coach saying about that? That's just no. stupid. So they yeah, thought it was I stupid never, as well. Yeah, I would never say that. Like, a, You could say that maybe in CONCACAF or something like that or whatever, but even in CONCACAF, I feel like if you say that to like a Latin American team, no matter what it is, they're going to get angry too. I don't see anybody who... Like if it's if you're saying it against the team, maybe but our club. But when you say it against somebody country, I don't know. That seems like mm. like it, 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 people take it seriously, and you, hope- we know how passionate the fans are. What do you think the players are going to be like? Yeah. Right? What one of the things when he was asked about it and in the days leading up to it, he was he was like, yeah, probably shouldn't have done it. He said, "It's my first World Cup," and it's yeah. like it's it's not your first World Cup. <laughs> like it feels like World Cups. <laughs> Like, like it, it feels like uh, uh, everybody was talking about Luca Cavallini seeing the red mist. I feel like he saw the red mist, and I think he's the one that flew. He was probably the least 
disciplined person, including the players, out of all everybody on the team at this point. That's, that's maybe fair to say that. But the, the issue that I have with it and why I think it got blown up too much is, I, yeah, it will have angered, well, it did anger Croatia, and it will have lit a fire in them, and it's clearly pissed them off. I don't think it had a huge impact on the game because if, if you're saying to me Croatia needed any motivation to go into a game that they know that if they were to lose, they're pretty much on the, the no, flight home. It's like they I, I don't, don't need that motivation. And a goal 67 think... seconds in certainly yeah. let the fire more than I think Herdman's comments. No, but I don't think they needed motivation, but they need, they got that extra motivation. Like you, you, you like, and it could yes, have, I, yeah, that it I agree could have, with. It could have potentially, uh, it might have worked the other way too, where they were undisciplined, and Croatia was like maybe that gave them too much, and they it boiled over. You know, you know the you know the pot boils over, and you're spilling all over the place. You're undisciplined, and that maybe that had something to do with that first goal because they were so amped up or something like that. Uh, but I think it calm that that first goal made made them realize they need to calm down. They need to play against uh, uh, Canada in a different way, and then they, they maybe they rework something. I don't know what they were. I, I don't really recall what, what how. I, obviously, we know how the what led up to the goal, but we don't know. I don't know what their tactics were and if they changed anything after that first goal. Mm. I mean, th- that going into that game, well, when the draw was made, Croatia probably looked at it and thought, ah, Canada's not a big worry in this group. But that performance against Belgium will have known that, that they had a oh, game yeah. on their hands. Yeah, that alone and, would have that that alone made it made no sense. And then on top of that, you put the comment. Let, but yeah. let's get past the comment. You know, yeah, no, I, I just I wanted to mention it just because a yeah, lot of folk ahead. blamed the defeat on that comment, but it, that, that's not why they lost the game. I think I I feel like the the comment uh, probably it, it probably made it a worse defeat, and maybe not like led to because they could have lost in the first place, right? Croatia is a very quality side, um, I, like. And I think the, I personally think the combination of that with some formation issues, I think that's maybe what led to the loss because they, they, they were overwhelmed in the midfield as well. Possibly. So let, let's just move on from that and get into yeah. the, the the meat and the potatoes of it. Herdman said in the build-up to the game that this game would require a different game plan to the Belgium game, a different approach. Now, to me, that hinted at several personnel changes or formation change or something like that he referenced having all 26 players healthy and available so again whether that was just to kind of throw off Croatia as to oh they're not going to know who's going to go on there but in the end I was surprised that there was just that one change which was Hoylett making way for Laren which I was happy with because I did want Laren to start and I was happy because we got Laren and David together not that they Really lit it up, but did you expect more than just the one change? I mean, we talked about I, it on the last show. I did a little bit. Uh, I expected them to put extra. Like, I actually thought this was like I, if they put Laren in for David, I think that was fine. Uh, but I would have put an extra midfielder. Yeah, for Hoylet, I thought that they would have they would have maybe um, muddied up the midfield and forced Croatia to go wide. Even though they got great wide players too, but it's their midfield as a strength. So I yeah. thought maybe at this point, maybe bring. An Asario or uh, bring Cody to start the game or something like that, and maybe have Atiba coming off the bench if they needed it or something like that. Because I think Estacchio was known to have have a niggling injury right yeah. before the game, so I thought 
maybe you save a Tiba and get, start a Stakio, and it ended up being that they had to sub off a Stakio, which kept the Tiba on the pitch at that point. So. Yeah, was... I kind of think they they were forced to by that point. But but I mean, we'll come to Atiba shortly because I don't think he yeah. should have still been on the pitch. But I mean, the midfield is it, where a lot of this game fell apart from yeah. Canada. But but let's talk at the the big positive. Yeah, fast start again. It reaped its reward. Sixty seven seconds in, history was made. A great ball in from Tejon Buchanan onto the head of Fonzie, leapt, headed home. Canada's very first goal in the Men's World Cup. It's a goal that's been 32 years in the making since the, the last appearance. Aptly coming with Fonzie's shirt number from his days here at the Whitecaps of number 67. Yeah. At, at that point, you thought, oh, it's everything. It's just coming together. The stars have aligned. Yeah, that uh, it was a perfect setup by Buchanan. Um, and I think... I think it was Farhan on Twitter that's mentioned that this might be his first goal from a header. I don't know yeah, if that was Yeah, I was thinking not, about I'm I'm pretty sure I've seen him score in a Whitecaps yeah. jersey with a header, but... I, I, I don't recall. I, don't I, I, I remember the penalty kick before. But when we mentioned, did he ever take a penalty before? Yeah. The header, I'm not 100% sure of. But um, yeah, great goal. Um, you're right, great start. But like I said, the pessimist in me immediately said, was this too early of a goal? Uh, did they want to score this early and, and even make it worse for like wake up Croatia so early? Like maybe Lollum's asleep. I think I mentioned to you, maybe Lollum's asleep for the first 30 and then pour it on in the last 15 of the first half and see if they could steal something. Yeah. So that was the tactics you wanted. The tactics I wanted was go for the jugular early. Yeah. And they did, but you needed to get a second. But, but they missed the jugular. They, they did. It. And <laughs> I mean, let's let's be brutally honest. That was pretty much as good as it got for Canada. It was like Croatia took a I've, little bit of time to find their feet, but once they yeah, did, it was all Croatia. It's about they. I think Canada had about the first fifteen minutes or so, right? Or maybe, but without really looking like they were going to add to the scoreline, yes. that's the yeah, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. But they they did control it a little bit. Then you're right. Um, around the fifteen, in between the fifteen and twenty minute mark, that's when Croatia essentially took over. And Kramaric, just yeah. absolutely outstanding. He had a disallowed goal in the 26th minute, which was a lovely goal. Yeah. And then you'd think, oh, maybe that's going to be setting some alarm bells for Canada that need to be a better, better defensively. But Croatia then just found another gear. They put Canada to the sword. I've got to say, we looked pretty gassed in that I, towards I, the end of the first half. I, 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 I have like I think I mentioned it to you offline, but I feel like it was more of a uh, mental exhaustion because I feel like Croatia was leaning so much on Canada and Canada was doing everything to mm-hmm. like um, avoid giving up that second goal just for the half and did to give up that goal in the 44th like minutes before you're going into the halftime. We've talked about it before. The goals just before the half and just after the half are very deflating. Yeah, uh, and this this was a deflating goal. I feel. It was probably a combination of physical and mental exhaustion because it was just like somebody's leaning on you, you're pushing everything to get them off, and then they just crush you at that point with that second goal. I mean, we're not going to break down all the goals. No, We've please, all seen them. We, we don't <laughs> want to go through it again. I'll say for the first one, Kramaric, lovely finish to the back post, but Perisic, that yeah. little ball inside to him, just Canada just couldn't cope with it. And then... The go-ahead goal that then Croatia weren't looking back after that. 
Marco Levaya. It's a finish from the edge of the box. And whenever you're beat from the edge of the box, you always think, ah, should the defence have done better? Should the keeper have done better? But the thing is, Juranovic had danced through the Canadian team to set that up. And several players had a chance to stop and dispossess him. And I think that comes into the mental and maybe physical exhaustion aspect of it. Yeah. But behind at the half, they looked tired. They needed to get in and regroup. I thought, right, that's it, Atiba's off. I know it's his 100th cap. Herdman, though, said afterwards that he thought Atiba was having a great game. He, he wasn't. And that was the change that needed to be made. And I know that Estacchio went off and you maybe don't want to completely revamp your midfield. But it, it needed more. So, I mean, Osorio came on for Laren. And, and, and for Estacchio. And, and Osorio on for Laren tells me that Herdman realized he made a mistake to begin the game with, with two strikers. On yeah. Him. And I think that's the that's the thing. Like, and But I was surprised it was Osorio. I mean, Laren coming off because I thought Laren was down because they need that big body yep. in the middle. I thought they would have taken David off instead. He was pretty invisible. I mean, he's got... been invisible almost the whole time. Yeah. And the thing so. is, we know he's a good player. Herdman clearly thinks if we're needing to get a goal, David's a guy that's going to get it more than Laren. But we've seen in qualifying what Laren can do with yeah. both players, we know what they can do at club level. I mean, I guess it was a 50 50 because neither of them were really lighting it up out there. But I mean, the subs added the spark that we needed and Osorio came close four minutes after the restart he didn't miss by much just went past the far post that was pretty much though I was I guess David had a shot that was tipped over just before the hour mark as well but I mean but apart even, from those he, he, two chances it was but all even Croatia. yeah but even those chances there wasn't very much confidence that those were going to go in. They were no. like, you felt like they weren't going to go in. And it was Borion who kept them like actually from being very embarrassed. Yeah. Um, in a lot of these places that there was a double save at one point. And then, uh, yeah, there was, there's multiple things that Borion, even though he left four goals in, it could have been a lot worse if it wasn't for him. Yeah. And like, if we're talking about Milan Borion as well, you obviously, everyone would have heard the booze in the stadium and stuff that's come out since. It's been really nasty from the Croat fans. And I'm not saying this in a snowflake way. It's like there's a line of abuse that you can give players at football. And I've been right up to that line. I've probably crossed the line in the past when I've been at games, especially in Scotland. But the abuse that he was getting because he's a Serb. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah but I've, I, th- there's like a lot of hate between the Serbs and, and, and Croatians. Oh, so, I, yes. And so I, I totally, you know, in a way that... I, I, I It's going to be sensitive. I know Borean probably expects it. And he, like, he's... He, it obviously will affect him mentally, but knowing like that he that this happens and this is you know i guarantee if a croatian plays in a serbian team or something like that they're going to find abuse too so yeah it's, but it's did, just, i don't know if you saw the story no Somebody, i didn't see all the story someone put his phone number out oh okay gotcha so he was getting tons of abusive texts yeah. so someone circulated his phone number now that crosses a line to me yeah that does 
Um, and uh, he, he will have expected it, and that's the kind of thing, knowing Milan Borian, he'd raise his game because he'd be like, I'll show you guys. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been pretty unpleasant, and it's not been the only unpleasant aspect of this tournament with, with some of the teams either, but, I mean, the game had kind of gone into a little bit of a lull before Kramaric put it to bed, really, with the third and the 70th, and it was a, a nice touch inside again and a finish, and, I mean, it was nice to see two former white caps come on. For all that I've ragged on Cavallini, it's nice that he got his World Cup moment. For sure. And and Sam Adekugbe as well coming on. And Canada, to be fair, two goals down. They still pushed to the end. They couldn't grab the late consolation that would maybe even have set up a barnstorm and finish. And then Croatia added that fourth on a two-on-one break with Meyer tucking it away. Um, do you expect to that? Because they were going to leave space. They were going for it. I mean, just how did you come away from the game feeling? Um, I was, uh, I'll be honest with you, pretty angry at Herdman initially, uh, because of the fact that uh, I just felt like I'm uh, looking like after reflecting a little bit, obviously, like I said, I don't feel like it's all the blame for the loss, but I, at the time I was very upset. Um, See, this because, is why I didn't want to record yesterday because yeah. I was also piss- very pissed off, but for other reasons, I was just fuming about how they played and yeah. So, but uh, overall, I feel like, you know, um, I feel like that the 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 game uh, could have been closer if if not for the comments. But I think they I think clearly that uh, Croatia did show that they are a high quality team. And um, the the more upset I was getting was people uh, the the people that just tuned up to the World Cup mm-hmm. and not realizing how good our side Croatia is, and then uh, saying like Canada's no good and. And what, uh, like, you know, their embarrassment to the country or something. Some people were commenting like that. So, um, well, yeah, so one of my friends thing... in Scotland sent me a message going, Canada, shite. And I was like, did you not watch the Belgium game? But his reply to that was, yeah, Belgium, shite too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, no, I don't care if people in Scotland are saying that, but people that are Canadian are saying that, that, that you know, they're coming in out of the woodworks and, and mentioning that. So that's, but I, you kind of expect that for people that don't pay attention to the world yeah. and don't realize how good Croatia is. Yeah, exactly. And they don't, folk have short memories and forget that they finished third at the last World Cup and they were written off at the Euros. And like the Scottish fans wrote them off as, oh, oh they're tired, they're old, we're going to get past them. And they gave Scotland a lesson at, at the Euros yeah. and they did well there. So it's, as I said, I didn't want to record this yesterday. For two reasons. One, I thought, well, may as well wait till all the second lot of group games is over. But I wanted to give us time to kind of Did reflect you, on it overnight. You, you said they finished. They actually were runners up in the last World Cup. Oh, so, I think so you they said, were. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. I just I thought I, I, I could have sworn that I thought that, but it, yeah, you know, no, France beat them. Yeah. Yeah, was, that's right. Yeah. I don't know what I'm thinking about, but yeah, you're right yeah. with that. Um, but I mean, I I came away just disappointed. More than angry, but a little angry. But I think part of that just goes to what John Herdman has done with this team and the belief that he's given people in this team. And maybe maybe we got a bit swept away with that performance uh, against Belgium. And as my friend said, maybe Belgium's not really that good a team. Well, I'll just ask Kevin De Bruyne. He'll let you know. Yes, we'll we'll (laughs) talk about that in the next part. We'll also talk about some of the other post-game reaction 
We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, a maudlin tune. I like to dig this one out. Uh, when I'm sad, I like to put on a sad song. And when I think of a sad song, that song from Glasgow band The Blue Nile from their 1989 second album Hats from a late night train doesn't get more depressing sounding than that like to keep the mood up here at AFTN. But we're going to talk about some of the general post-game reaction from supporters and from media and from the other camp after that Croatia-Canada game. Now, I think most Canada fans, Steve, going into the tournament, realistically didn't expect us to get out of the group. And they were realistic about our chances. The Belgian performance then probably raised belief and expectation levels. So this one kind of felt maybe like a massive crash back down to earth. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think the, uh, I think the, the, everybody, obviously everybody has the rankings and everybody mentioned the rankings where Belgium was ranked uh, number two, but a lot of, a lot of us that know um, uh, FIFA, both FIFA rankings know that they're not, you know they don't make sense, and and the fact that they're not always playing against each other, they're they're like beating up on other teams. Uh, European is Europe is known for like um, a lot of like minnows, especially in like group stages where they the other teams are beating them up and the points are the same almost or very close to the same. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, so I think that people seeing Belgium being the number two team and uh, Canada, you know, deserving uh, a win out of that game, I think gave a lot of people false hope into this game. I still think they could have beaten Croatia, uh, but uh, a lot of things went against them. Yeah, I mean, as as you said in the last part, Steve, there's a lot of folk that maybe have watched the World Cup and haven't seen Canada, but this is a much different level that Canada's playing at now. It's a a top quality opposition and it's different from, from CONCACAF. And some of the results this World Cup have shown, and last World Cup, that CONCACAF isn't the strongest of the confederations either. But yeah. I think 
there was a lot of people trolling, like American and Mexican fans in particular, saying that Canada were self-proclaimed champions of CONCACAF because they topped it the octagon. But I, I get why you get a bit of stick. If you show any arrogance or stuff like that, folk are going to throw it back at you. That's that's football. Oh, yeah. no, and, not and that's a problem with but, that. But, but there's nothing really to say because they did win the qualifying stage. Yeah. Like, and, and it's not like Europe where you're playing in groups, like where you you could top your group. You're not playing against everybody. In the CONCACAF one, you are playing against everybody. So for me, it's very similar to um, Brazil winning uh, the South American like whole stage because they're playing against everybody. Yeah. So I think for me, that's the same thing. You can say that for me, uh, CONCACAF and, and, and South America – uh, for those two, those are I, I believe those would be considered like championships in a way because you're yeah. all, you're playing you're not like in Asia where you're playing against groups or something like that or in in uh, Africa where you just have to you know you you win your group and then you have to play one other team and, and you're through so it's kind of similar to that that I th- I feel like this is a championship I think as well for so much of the time in Concacaf it's been the big two America and Mexico. In South yeah. America, it's been the big two, Brazil and Argentina. And Canada put the cat amongst the pigeons this tournament and they, they shook things up and they finished top. But as I say, it's a different level. It's a different quality. To put it into Scottishness for me, it's like the Scottish League. You've got Celtic and Rangers. They're the big two. They run away with it. They dominate. Celtic look amazing. Rangers looked good. They both went into UEFA Champions League and struggled. Didn't get out of the right. group. Didn't even make it into the Europa League as a third-place finisher. And Rangers had the worst record ever in Champions League history. So you can be a big fish in your own pond, and then you go to a different pond, and it's it's like piranhas are waiting for you, just to keep a fish analogy going. So I think, from what I've seen, there's been an overriding feeling of pride and I think, in general, an acknowledgement of just how far Canada have come. Yeah. Because and- they've gone from ranked in the 90s up to the 30s at one point. They've dropped back down a little bit. But it's been a, it's been a fantastic rise. Yeah, and, and, and an unexpected rise, too, if you think of it. Like, nobody had them even... Like, we were thinking, oh, you know, they're, the, the first World Cup they're going to be in is the 2026 one. Well, nobody remember, they, it was meant to be a hex before COVID... Yeah, and they exactly. weren't even going to be in that. They had to go through the bizarre route of trying to beat everyone and then get a playoff game against to finish the fourth, fourth. The fourth place team, yeah, yeah exactly. and then get into another playoff after that. Yeah, so I feel like they, I feel like they like America and in the Mexico can you know fans can say all they want about you know whether you know you know self to proclaim, but they earned it the being the top team in Concacaf, and they just happened to be. Like after all is said and done, could be in the potentially the one of the harder groups to be in. Um, because uh, I I feel like I feel like the U.S. definitely should have done better against Wales and England. Uh, England is not a great team, a group, um, like a, a World Cup team. They they do well in qualifying, uh, but when they get to the big stages, they tend not to do well. So I feel like I feel like in, if the U.S. or Mexico were in this group, I think they would have got rolled over too. Of course, I don't know if they would have said F Croatia. Um, so maybe that might have been different, but I, I think like, to me, like I think I mentioned it before, the team that scares me the most out of these three were was Morocco, 
like they, I, I feel like they're like they're flying high on this thing. So I I think it's I it, unfortunately I hope I hope they could get a result, but I think it could be three losses for Canada going into this. Yeah, I mean it's it's very likely that 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 could be the case, and like Canada's got his goal. Mexico's yeah. still looking for their first goal in this tournament, and the US have just got one goal so far in this tournament. So, I mean, Canada's more than held its own. And as I mentioned sure. in part one, three of the four halves that have been excellently played. So, the, team, the team that's done the best so far is Costa Rica, even though they left seven in Co- one goal, but they won a game at least. I know. Right? I, so I, that's I, the weirdest thing. I just don't even goal. understand how they won that, but we'll come uh, to that when we look at the And, and it was the their action. first shot on goal. I know. It was their first shot on target in the whole tournament. Absolutely baffling. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good to be proud. It's good to have all these emotions. But what I will also say is some folk have been critical and they've been, like, shot down for it because there's ways to criticise and there's ways not to criticise. But I do feel that, yeah, we should enjoy it. We should savour that moment, that first goal. But if you speak to John Herdman, that's not why he was at this World Cup. If you'd said... You've lost three games. I'm just saying worst case scenario. You yeah. lose three games, but you got your first goal. Are you happy with that? No. You might for publicly sure say something about, yeah, we've, we've advanced from 1986, blah, blah, blah. But he will be seething because he would have felt that they could have got their first victory. And they still might. And he, he was there to get out of this group. Yeah. And you, you saw that with what he was saying that he was demanding he was disappointed that they didn't take anything from Belgium because he's yeah. demanding and we as supporters we as media should also be more demanding of this team it's all right to be demanding and critical and still be supportive you can be both things and i think that's the mindset that we've got to get into in this country if we are going to take the leaps that we need to take for 2026 don't just be happy that we scored a goal and say, oh, we were better than we were in 1986. We should be bloody better than we were in 1986. It's a much better team. And world football's improved. And we've got a, a golden generation of players and some top talents. And we need to be more demanding of them. But it's okay to be demanding and critical. You can still be supportive as well. You can be both. Yeah, for sure. Now, I want to read... Uh, a post that former white cap Pamadou Ka put on his Instagram. And I won't read it all. It's a, it's a lengthy post, but there's a couple of bits in it that really caught my eye. And it just starts off by saying, in Canada, two of my greatest achievements happened, which is my daughter's being born and my first coaching job. And he said, to see this beautiful country's performance at the biggest stage of soccer is fantastic and a great achievement for the country. 36 years ago was the last time and ever since they've been off the radar and not been mentioned in any conversation when it came to the beautiful game. That's all very true. It says, to witness the rise and watching this group of men is something this country should be really proud of. Canada belongs in the world stage of football and it's time that the nation fully support and stand behind this team. He then goes on to say, for the CSA, this is your moment to bring the nation together and create a platform for the men and women's game at all levels in Canada. There's no excuses anymore. This team and the future of soccer in Canada deserve better and more. And they do. The, the onus 
is on Canada Soccer to step up big time now. Hundred percent. They need more. Uh, the both teams, both sides need more support and developing players and getting them in the right position so they can succeed. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Like, yes, it's great to get dual nationals to come in to play, but they need to start developing more players on top of that, like people that are born or bred here. Absolutely, and give them the more opportunities. And the CPL is a great start. And on the women's side, it's still lagging way behind despite despite everything. There was meant to be happening after the 2015 World yeah. Cup. I mean, we'll get into a little bit of the future for Canada in this part. I I want to talk about something that royally fucked me off yesterday. Which was a tweet from TSN. A now deleted tweet it has to be said, where they basically said, now that Canada's been eliminated, who are you cheering for now, Canada? Like, the corpse is still warm. Never mind the fact that they've still got an actual fucking game to play. Yeah, this is an idiot, like, young social media person who doesn't realise, like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, you could talk about this after the third game is over or something like that. But there was presenters and people that were standing up for that tweet and saying that they didn't see anything wrong with it. And again, this comes into the mentality that is in this country by certain people in this country, and especially in the media, where they jump on it when it's big. Every, like when the women are in the Olympics and the World Cup, but primarily the Olympics, everyone's all over the team. Where are they in all the calls when it's not that? Where are they pushing for women's soccer? Where's the coverage of the the women's soccer in these outlets the rest of the time? It's not there. And in this case as well, it kind of shows it's the small, small team stroke, small country mentality. And like, again, to to use a Scottishness for this, everyone knows I'm an East Fife fan. So when you talk to people, it's and it's like, oh, who do you support? East Fife. No, no. Who's your big team? What do you mean? It's like, are you Celtic or Rangers? No, I fucking hate both of them. East Fife is my team. And it's like that here. It's like, oh, you're cheering on Canada? Yeah, but no, but who are you really cheering on for? Who are you really wanting to win the World Cup? And that's the mentality that has to change. Well, yeah, for sure. And and you could be like fans of certain countries um, and there's no problem with doing that, but you're uh, ultimately, uh, I feel like it's either your number one team is Canada or don't cheer for them. Uh, that's what I feel like. Like, then if you're if you if you're only cheering for Canada in their games and not overall, and you and you have another number one country, don't bother cheering for Canada. That's fine. I mean, I, I'll be honest. Scotland play Canada. I'm going to cheer in Scotland, but I also want Canada to do well. That's because I'm Scottish. I'm not even a Canadian citizenship yet, so you can't take that away from me. But the that attitude that. Yeah, you've really got a bigger team. You really want Brazil or Portugal or obviously not Italy um, because it was an Italian person that was kind of sticking up for them. Um, But the other thing with that as well is one soccer replied going, we're still cheering on Canada, thanks very much. So one soccer get it. For all the criticism we've maybe done of one soccer in the past, you can't knock the support of Canadian soccer, which the likes yeah. of TSN have not shown. No. 
And you've also then, so many of the replies were people saying, still cheering for Canada, we've still got a game to play, this tweet should have waited till after the group stages, etc, etc. So yeah, that's just something I wanted to get off my chest. Really pissed me off. I'm clearly still in a, an angry mood. I'm still an angry bastard. And I like it. So, let's move on. The final group games go at 7am on Thursday, December 1st. Yeah, horrible time for me. Don't feel inclined to have to get up and watch that live now. I might just PVR it and have a lie-in. We'll see how that goes. Canada's taking on Morocco. Croatia's taking on Belgium. It's all to play for in the group for the other three teams after Morocco's 2-0 win over Belgium. What a, a performance from the Moroccans, but what an atmosphere and what an atmosphere that's going to be electric and volatile and just brutal for Canada to go into on Thursday. For sure. Um, it, it's They have, obviously, Morocco has everything to play for, which makes it even more difficult. Um, I don't, like, I don't know if Morocco can just get by with just a draw or not, uh, because it depends on you know, goal differential and everything. It'll be really tight um, either way. So I think they essentially, um, they have to go for a win because they just need to be ahead of Belgium at this point. They need yeah. to remain ahead of Belgium um, because if Belgium wins and I think uh, Croatia and they lose or something like that, then it could be then. I think, oh, I mean, think it, it, it's so up for grabs. Like Belgium's not even guaranteed to be going through because I no. can see Croatia turning over Belgium the way that they've been playing. So then yeah, if, but, if they do that, then basically Morocco's through. Oh, yeah. And that, that's the thing because it's played at the same time. Croatia, yeah. if they, they can't afford to stumble um, because they can they can get eliminated. All three of these teams, nobody's safe right now. Yeah. So they're that, all going to play at the top of it. Fantastic. I, and I, I mean, I, I'd love to see Canada play a spoiler, even though I kind of want Morocco to get through. I know. See, I want do. Morocco to go through. So like, if Canada lose and Morocco go through, I'm happy with that. But Canada could still win, and Morocco could still go through. So there, that, that's your win-win. That's that that in that case, you'd have to have Bel yeah Belgium would either have to lose or yeah. they have to win by a couple goals in order for that to happen. So yeah, that big win, the, the, those extra goals for Croatia certainly yeah helped them. But I I fancy Croatia to turn over Belgium because oh, really? I just okay. don't think Belgium. Well, they will have Lukaku in there, but I don't know what kind of shape Lukaku is going to be in that third game. Yeah, he said I mean, he, he came on that. and uh, that was a surprise because he was meant to be out for those first two games. But yeah. I mean, Morocco so deserved that victory. And for sure, he could have had another one with the, the free kick that was, was disallowed. And then eventually they, it looked like it was the first goal from a free kick that put them ahead, but it's now been given a touch to remain Saïs in the 76th. And then, Abduklau sealed the deal with a lovely finish two minutes into stoppage time and then Morocco leapfrogged Belgium in the group standings yeah. and they've impressed and I, have. I, I genuinely I want Morocco and Croatia to go through yeah I, it, I agree I, I, I kind of do but I just I wish there was a way for Canada to get at least a point like maybe get a draw and then uh, I guess Croatia would have to win or a draw 
And Bel- if both draws happen, then Morocco and Croatia go through too. I, I think a point does it for Morocco because that would yeah, take I'm- them to five. So no matter then what happens in the other game, yes, correct, be fine. Yeah. So that's yeah, true. so that's a win-win as well. What do you think though should happen with the Canadian team for this last game? Because there's various ways to approach it. You go full strength, integrity of the tournament and the group and all that pish. You have a mix of the guys that started so far, but you throw in some new faces, partly to give them their World Cup moment, partly to to have a look at them for the future. To yeah, s- I, so, that, so that some of them might even make their World Cup debuts so that they don't have that weight hanging over them come 2026. I, I w- what I would do is I would, uh, players that are a little bit older, like Atiba, I think sh- I, I don't think Atiba should start. Um, he's had his 100th cap and everything yeah. like that. Maybe you could save him as a, you know, come on and late in the game or something like that. Yeah, and he's had his but, World Cup moments. But that's only if Estacchio is injured. I don't know how what his health is right mm-hmm. now. So if Estacchio can't start, then maybe then you put Atiba and Kony together and then bring in Atiba maybe half like right at near the uh, beginning of the second half. You take him off as a celebration kind of thing. Uh, but um, I, I definitely, I would, I honestly would like to see, um, I, one thing I would like to see is uh, Alfonso playing closer to the top. So I'd like uh, Sam in there and then uh, Tejan on the other side. And have Alfonso I, playing. I'd like higher. a back four because yeah, I think if be... they go with three at the back, Morocco are going to crucify them. Yeah, uh, that could be a possibility too. Maybe then, then you would definitely need Sam in there with uh, um, Johnson and uh, I, I would love to see Derek Cornelius get a start. Or, or see, I'd like to see Cornelius get the start. I'd like to see Waterman even get some minutes later on. Yeah, I think Victoria. Victoria is somebody that I think uh, could. Like maybe they rest him or something like that. He's since they're eliminated, he is on the older side, and Morocco is a little bit speedier. So maybe Cornelius can because he's Cornelius got a good blend of athleticism and size. So maybe that's a better option. I think Cornelius should get get the start uh, that and t- like taking all loyalty out of it and the yeah. fact that we know the guy and he's a white cats player, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I just think it's good to mix it up. Also, obviously, Canada won to finish on a high they want their first point or points like if they could get a win they would love that as well so that's why I don't think John Herdman will just throw everyone in but I'd like him to maybe be a bit choosy with his subs so say say we're two or three goals down then if you've subs left I'd like you to empty the bench yeah like get get guys to have their World Cup moment Liam Miller, Liam, oh, Liam Miller already came on, I think. Yeah, Wotherspoon, who was so influential for the team in the qualifying. Fraser. Get him a, even a couple of minutes, a cameo at the end. That that would be fantastic for him. L- yes, Liam I'm Fraser. biased because I love Spoonie and he's Scottish, but he deserves it for what he did in the qualifying. But yeah, Liam as well, he deserves it. Yeah, and so I think whatever they can do to get as many people uh, that little moment on the pitch, I would do that. Yeah, for sure. Would you start boring? Yeah, I would start him. Yeah. I I, I, I went not. back and forth of, oh, do you give Sinclair a start? But then no. I, it's like, he's young. Borian probably yeah. won't be there in the next cycle. So it's like well, these it's guys... A little can... bit, it's a little bit different because I feel like that could... Like, like other players can you can you know pick and choose, but your goalkeeper, I think you got to keep that stable because he, he kind of works the whole back end and he's a kind of a leader back there. So I think that 
I think that would be too much pressure on the back end and the goalkeeper if you put another player in there. Yeah. Just to round off this part, I want to look, and we'll, we'll look at this a bit more as well when Zach gets back from his, his trip. Basically, what now for Canada? And I mean, what now is an after this game on Thursday? So there's been a lot of talk this tournament that Canada now belongs in the world stage in football terms, and they do. But there's a big difference in belonging and thriving. And that is the step that Canada and Canada soccer now needs to take. And what Pamuka was also alluding to with, with his Instagram post. How do, you, how do you get that next step, though? Well, this, there's struggles ahead. Most of our top players are plying their trade over in Europe. And that needs to continue. And that's what John Herdman has clearly said. He wants the top players doing that. Alistair Johnston's move to Celtic should be complete next week. It's basically a done deal. I was chatting to somebody at the VMSL game that was at on Friday night who lives next door to Alistair Johnston's uncle who has been telling people, oh yeah, he's already signed, it's a done deal. And apparently his dad's in Qatar telling everyone, oh yeah, he's signed, it's a done deal. So we know that Johnson's going to Celtic. Tejon Buchanan apparently has many suitors in Europe as well, and there's going to be other guys that's looking for moves. There's a lot of guys over there. Some of them might move to bigger leagues, bigger clubs as well. All of that, Steve's just going to help this team grow in strength, but also in competitiveness, because they're going to be tested at high levels week in, week out. Yeah, for sure. And then what that also happens then at that point, like with like a guy like Johnston going, uh, Waterman's going to play a bigger part with Montreal, and he's going to be a more of a starter. There'll be other players to take those spots, uh, a Canadian players. So essentially, uh, you move the uh, the players that are on this stage at the World Cup up to the higher leagues, and you bring in more uh, another wave of players to your lineup and everything like that. Yeah. So I think that's what you're looking for domestically in MLS and CPL. You, you, the next two years, you bring these players yeah. on with a look to there. The next ones that move up, and then yeah, and then then the CPL gets people to move up into their level, and then you just keep developing, and that's how you have to do it at this point. Like uh, people, and that's were why the about, investment from Canada Soccer is huge. You yeah, have to the, continue this growth. Like it's it's amazing that people don't realize like uh, how important a domestic league is because if you think of it, imagine a, like I'll, I'll I'll go to another sport. Imagine a, league, a country creates a league in hockey, uh, maybe two three years ago, and and then now all of a sudden they have to play up against Canada at, at like a world stage. You think it's going to be like four one or something like that? No, it's going to be like twenty to one at that point. So it's like you have to understand that Canada like have been doing this without a domestic league, and now that they have a domestic league, it should help out with getting even more players in the limelight and just developing out of because it's something about being as like an amateur team, and we talked about unattached FC mm. before. Um, like when, like even if it's uh, you know the the standards are not that high at CPL right now compared to other leagues, it's still a professional atmosphere, and you have professional coaches there. So you in and, and, and there are there has a hint of professionalism that helps even for players that are would have no idea. Like some of these players would be in. And in VMSL, probably right. Am I, mm-hmm. I'm assuming, or yeah. or being like in Taiwan or Vietnam and Asia or or some other countries or something like that, or like in 
third league or fourth league Germany or something like that. Or, or even which, lower. So so many have gone yeah. over to like fifth, sixth, seventh tier in, in Germany. And, and, stuff. and then going to Finland and stuff like that. And second league Finland. Like so the, the, being at a at a top league in, in this one gives gives a little bit more leeway. Now they've even mentioned that they're going to be paying players more. So that's a good mm-hmm. sign and stuff like that. So all these things kind of will snowball into something else. And eventually once the CPL men's league camp happens, it'll it'll create more of a like a, a windfall for uh the women's league to start and hopefully that doesn't have take that long but hopefully th- that that happens even sooner than with, with like with this world cup because this world cup the men's world cup however people want to say they're gonna CSA will make a lot of money going to this world cup probably combined with all the world cups that have gone in, in with uh, the women's team because the women's team just they oh, didn't make yes. enough money for that yep. so th- so this should help and just hopefully CSI doesn't line up their own pockets and, and actually well, spread yeah. the money down to the thing. Hopefully it doesn't all go to Canadian soccer business who are doing all the... They've yeah. signed so many deals every couple of days in the build-up to this. It felt I was getting an email from Canada Soccer just saying what the latest sponsorship deal was that they'd signed. But you yeah. talk about domestic leagues. We touched on this last time. Every single player in that Saudi team plays in the Saudi league. Yeah, Exactly. That's why like domestic leagues are important. A big concern, though, for me is obviously Canada's at the next World Cup. We're hosting in 2026 with the US and Mexico. That's not the concern. But it's the lack of competitive games and yeah, testing play, games. Yeah, they need to play more. Uh, although friendlies are not the greatest thing, like a lot of people don't specify, you know, qualify friendlies as competitive. For Canada, it will be if they play against good competition. And that's what it they're going to have be. to do now. But, but yeah. the, the problem with this, because I, initially I was thinking, well, there's going to be so many players over in Europe. I think you might actually see a lot of the friendlies over in Europe in and the winters fine. when they can. Yeah, that's yeah. that's great. That's what they need to do. But you've also then got like the Nations League, CONCACAF Nations League that kind of derails it. And they're not yeah. quality games for a lot of it. You've got the Gold Cup as well. So they've got that, which will be a testing environment. But again, it's against CONCACAF. Dwayne Rollins today has said that two people have mentioned to him that in 2024, Canada will be at Copa America. He wasn't able to confirm at the time of recording this whether it's CONCACAF that's going to Copa America as a combined tournament or whether it's just a couple of invites like US, Mexico, yeah, Canada, like whatever. That's that's the test that they need. And yes. that's an actual competition. Yes, 100%. And it's like in an environment that is like a World Cup too. So I think that's huge for them if they can do that. Um, and if they're saying it's, it's confirmed already, that's fantastic news. And so those are the things. And I think they should come up with, in order to develop depth as well, like they should put together MLS teams, the players, like a MLS, like World Cup team or like a national team kind of thing where they play Asian sides. And like, like maybe don't get the European players to come all the way out to Asia, but they need to play different styles like uh, South Korea or Japan mm-hmm. or, or, or or on that side too, because it's hard for European players to travel all the way out there, obviously. Um, but so, but it might be easier for North American players, base players to play out there. So maybe have like a, a team and a B team and, and kind of spread it out and get more players into that role. Well, you, like you could get the US on board with that as well, even Mexico, because yeah. they'll be needing games as well. So it's like, okay, let's have a, a domestic Canada side against America play some games in, in the yeah. international windows as well, the guys that's not called up. And yeah, have like a, an A and a B team and play two 
sets of friendlies at the same time in two different continents. I love that yeah, idea. Split squad, yeah. Do you feel John Herdman is the man to lead Canada into 2026? And do you think he will be the man to lead Canada into 2026? Well, honestly, if again, if we recorded this podcast yesterday, it might have been a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I like John Herdman. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Like maybe I, I don't. I, the only issue is I don't. I don't know how we like would stay here for another four years. Like the part mm-hmm. of me says that he wants to be part of a team that's hosting a World Cup. So in actuality, he doesn't have to worry about qualifying next time. He could actually do other things in order to mold the team together um and and bring in other players uh but part of me says that does he want to maybe look to other uh pastors or something look to other i, I know uh, see i i think exactly the same because yeah. I, i've read interviews with international managers in the past and they've said how difficult it is because they miss the hands-on day-to-day stuff yeah and that's when you're in a normal competition cycle this isn't a normal competition cycle now for John. He's got he's going to have a lot of meaning, meaningless stroke meaningful because obviously every game can be meaningful because you're looking at players and you're getting chemistry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know what I mean? The competitiveness isn't there in a lot of these games that's coming up. And is that enough for him? Yeah, I think... and, and the thing is, the thing is that the, the really brought me to that is, uh, speculation too is because when you were. Looking, especially after the Belgian game, there was a lot of English yes. media that was mentioning about John Herdman, and they didn't say that oh he should take over. I mean England, I don't, I don't recall very many people saying that, but they did mention he was English quite often. Yeah. in those articles, there's going to be clubs that look for that. Uh, like again, to use a Scottish example, Alex McLeish was the Scotland manager. He did well with Scotland, so English Premier teams came in for him. And the lure of that took him away from managing the national team and probably a hell of a lot more money as well. So you've got that, that if if an English championship or lower premiership team came in and said, oh, you know what, I'd like to to take you over to us, that would be hard for him to turn down. But 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 that said... I'm I'm not sure if he's made for club soccer. No. I was going to say as well, I don't know how much his stock is now. Because well, he's obviously taken Canada far, yeah. but if he got us out of the group, his stock was red hot. Oh yeah. Now I don't know if it is as hot. No, but I don't know how much he's. I, I think he's an international soccer manager. I don't know if he's a club soccer manager because his like, and I'm not saying him in particular. Maybe he can be the you know the uh, you know the exception to the rule. But a lot of coaches that are have this raw raw attitude. Um, the the players sometimes because they're really highly paid and they're top players, right? Mm. They're they're they sometimes tune the manager out eventually, especially if things don't go well. Well, so what I would maybe say John is as well is in... like look at Scott Arfield, who yeah. didn't like John Herdman's approach to things, and he'd For be sure. dealing with that if he went to the UK with a lot more players. Yeah, and then and that's, I think that he would be somebody that's good in small doses and not like an everyday kind of thing. So. I, I think he. That's true. You, you don't get like if you've got that every day, players will tune you out, as you say, and you're not getting that lift. Whereas if you're getting them every couple of months, you get that lift and you take them to run through a wall for you. Like my bold prediction would be that eventually, whether it's this cycle or the next cycle, he might be the coach of the next coach of England. Like that would be my like. Uh, that would be very very bold, and oh, I I I would. Worry. No, I'm just saying. 
I'm just I would saying, worry what the media would do to him, to be honest, because well, they're brutal. I, I know, but I think he's somebody that can handle that over the short term. I know something. I just feel like you. I, I know how much you hate England and everything, and I, I'm no, not a big fan. Like gen- genuinely, if he had taken us out of the group, I could have seen England making a play for him. No, I'm just saying maybe it's not after this World Cup. Maybe it's after the next one mm. where he becomes the coach. So one of those, if he does well, the thing is, England always has a manager that is like you know always seems to be like withdrawn. Yeah, and doesn't always Doer. seem to be out. Yeah. And so I think he might show a little bit of a different attitude where he brings up players. And they got whatever you want to say about the older players, they got a lot of young talent that's oh, been playing do. in, in yeah. Germany and, and other parts of the uh, continent that have actually like developed the solid players. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to make my bold prediction. I don't think he'll lead Canada into the 2026 World Cup. Yeah, I, I I could see that not happening as well. Yeah, I don't I I wouldn't put a prediction on that, but I don't like. There's a possibility that maybe he wants to move on, and then somebody else they bring in somebody else. I think the Canada will have a lot of suitors, though. Oh, a yes. lot of people that will want to be coach of this. There's team. so many managers from around the world that would love to have this group of players. Yeah, I think the 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 current coach of Netherlands, uh, he's always somebody that moves around a lot. I can't remember his name. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Uh, he was the coach of the South Korean side, too, when they were in the World Cup. I can get Robert uh, Martinez in from Belgium. He might be out of a job <laughs> after this tournament. Yeah, he, he, he praised Canada, too, so it's good there. Yeah, he I don't think the Croatian one, coach will be coming over. He could go from one quote-unquote golden generation to another, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> Last thing for this bit, and again, this is a, a thing that I feel that Canada soccer have a huge part to play in this. We've got to keep the fan and media interest at fever pitch for this team. Hosting obviously helps, because we know they're going to be here. But that's a long way away. You're talking three and a half years. How do you build on all this attention that the team's got? How do you keep soccer in the headlines? How do you keep people to be soccer fans and feel, oh yeah, Canada's a world-class nation? Especially when they can't watch the games. Because they're going to be on one soccer, one and soccer. that's not a knock to one soccer. Yeah, it's just a fact. How yeah. do you then I, keep that level of excitement and fever pitch? I think you got to have at least one major country coming in as a friendly per year, at least one, if not two. Obviously, going to Copa America helps. Mm. Um, like I, I'm talking about, like a country, like friend, bringing a friendly, like like a Germany, like a Spain. Like something like that, where and I believe like, Copa America would also be in TSN as well, which would have more yeah. eyes on it. Yeah, and 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 that friendly has to be a co-production between TSN and Canada One Soccer, so yep. it is visible or Are CBC you... or any Sportsnet, anyone, yeah. just so that no, folk can I, see I don't it think and be, know this team. I don't think it'd be Sportsnet. I think it'd be TSN or it'll be Canada One Soccer. But I think Canada One basically puts their people on TSN or something, so they have their their kind of talent on there. So it's kind of co-produced that way. So I, th- I personally think that's the way to do it. You have to bring in a big opponent every year and make it a big thing. It, it's it's huge now because folk have bought into this team. Folk have invested into this team. Yeah, there's going to be disappointment after that Croatia game. But when folk look back at the end of this tournament, they're just going to look back on this Canada team and say, I loved watching them play. They were great. I want to see more. I want to follow these guys. I miss streaming just now. It's you need so many different streaming services to watch all these players at, yeah, at club level, never mind anything else. So internationally you've just got to keep that up. So Canada Soccer 
need to do a good job at keeping people on board and keeping all media on board, not just their little favoured ones that get to ask all the questions on the media calls. And it'll be interesting to see how many of them are still sniffing around for some friendlies in a couple of years when it's not in the World Cup cycle as well. Another thing would be to have TSN if you're if you're doing like a, like have a like a half an hour weekly show on and and having Canadians around the world um, in in the thing and just highlighting their they, you know what they've done over this week or something yeah. like that. Canucks abroad, get on that. Get in touch with the yeah. stations and get get your guys producing a show. Everyone would love to watch it. But that is it for our Canada chat for this episode. But it's not it for our World Cup chats. We're going to look at the World Cup so far. Since the last episode, after this. Hi, I'm Carl Valentine. You're listening to the AFTN podcast. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of November and the penultimate song from London band Suede as well, Animal Nitrate. It was the band's third single overall. It was a big breakthrough hit that got them to the attention of people around the world, especially in the UK but it reached number seven in the charts on their self-titled debut album as well. Fantastic song, still sounds fresh to this very day. We've got one more song to come from Suede to kick off the next part. The video had a little bit of a Twin Peaks kind of look to it, I remember, and because it had that uh, paper mache pig on the uh, lap. Yes. It was kind of a weird, kind of a weird... Kind of had very weird vibe. imagery, though, in their early days as well, because the uh, lead singer like said, Brett Anderson uh, wanted you, to go for a, a androgynous look. Have you have you seen um, like Twin Peaks? Oh, I love Twin Peaks. It's one of yeah, my, remember well, that? Remember let the, let, the, let the, me the let scene, me just the, correct that. The I love the, the original Twin Peaks. But yeah, it yeah. came back not so much. Oh no, I didn't. I don't think I even watched it when it came back. But I'm talking about that scene in the with the curtains, the red curtains. Yes. Uh, so the, they had the curtains too with that. The imaging and the paper mache pig and stuff like that. So when I watch it, I go, "This kind of seems like Twin Peaks a little bit." Yeah. Oh, Twin Peaks! That the very original series is one of my all-time favorite TV shows. Definitely worth a watch. And the 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 return of it, the first maybe six ish episodes. Well, the first few episodes were good, and then it just went like uh, I never watched too, it too too weird because I yeah. love David Lynch. 
and uh, like Lost Highways, another film that I love. And Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is a, a great one as well. Yeah. Eraserhead, I can take or leave, but <laughs> yeah. Let's not start talking about David Lynch. We could be here all sure. day, but we'll save that for our David Lynch extra podcast. For this part and the next part, though, we're going to look at the World Cup so far, the matches played since our last show. We're not going to delve into everything in depth. We're just going to just chat about some of the stories coming out of each group because the first two rounds of group games are now done and dusted. So before they looked at Group F, we'll look at the other seven groups. And, of course, we'll start off with Group A. And since our last show, two games played in this group. And it was Qatar 1, Senegal 3, where the hosts became only the second home country to be eliminated at the group stage and the first to be knocked out after their first two games. Thankfully for Canada, they were. Otherwise, Canada would have been the first country that was going home. Yeah. I mean, it was a much better performance from them, Steve, in this one. They were robbed of a first-half penalty. Um, Senegal were in command... And the commentator described Senegal as strangling Qatar in the second half, which they pretty much did. But Qatar got their World Cup moment. They got their World Cup goal. Mohamed Mantari, man that's written his name in the history books for all that you think about the country and how they got it and everything. It is nice for the host country and for the players and for their fans to have that moment. 12 minutes of the game was remaining. Those hopes were were killed six minutes later, but still, with 12 minutes to go at 2-1, they had hope. Yeah. And Senegal, though, very, very worthy winners. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I, it's going to be a really nice clash against them in Ecuador to see who goes through. Oh, yeah. I feel like Netherlands are definitely one. through. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting as well how quickly the stadium's very expensive seats emptied after Senegal got that third goal. Yeah, Although it happened I've, against Ecuador too, I think. I've got to say, um, because obviously the white robes that a lot of the Qataris wear, which are so striking when you see it just in the stadium, there's been a few times that I've not been sure if it's empty white seats or if it's people in white <laughs> robes. And then I have a closer look and I'm like, oh yeah, there's a head there. Yeah, exactly. it's just It's just an all white out. Yeah. It seems interesting, yeah. They, they, I think they left it quickly after the Ecuador game too. Once the, the second goal went in there yeah. as well, so it, it, it's. I guess it's a common thing in Qatar to leave early. Probably beat the traffic, yeah. Which has has caused some issues because Zach had tickets for two games in a day, Canada game and then the Germany game, and didn't make it into the Germany game until thirty minutes into it because of traffic issues, but. But he sure still he, got to see the yeah. Got he to he see got the to see the main stuff, yeah. um, and I'm sure he'll regale us with all these tales when he gets back. So the, the other Group A game was Holland one, Ecuador one, and Ecuador. They're a joy to watch. I have loved them in their first two games. I've got to say, it's such a shame, really, that both them and Senegal can't advance. Um, Holland took the lead through Cody Gakpo, but then. They didn't look like world beaters after that. And Ecuador had the ball in the net at the end of the first half. It was ruled out. They tied things up three minutes into the second half through their talismanic Valencia. Also hit the post from a wicked Plata shot. And now they've got this wait as to whether Valencia can go. I haven't actually seen if he's good to go in game three or not because he went off in a stretcher. It wasn't looking good. 
But Ecuador's playing good. Who you got in this group? Holland and Ecuador, they're top the group in four points each. They've got identical records. Senegal's yeah. third and three points. So I think I had Holland and Senegal going through. Um, so I'll probably stick with that at this point. Um, I still feel like Senegal, if they had Sadio Mane in the in the game, I think they definitely would have been a favorite. But without him, I think it's closer for sure. And I think Ecuador is potentially can. Uh, uh, I wouldn't even call it an upset because they're very. I think they're very closely matched Senegal and Ecuador. Ecuador's just playing some just so good football just now that. Yeah. Even if they don't have Valencia, I think they can probably get past Senegal. And then, I mean, it would be a major shock if Qatar suddenly pull a win out against oh, for sure. Argentina. But you so, never but know. the thing is, is, if you think of it, if, if Valencia can't go... And, oh, Holland, and not Seneg- Argentina. Yeah, and Senegal has gotten no many. I think it's a very even matchup at that point. And I think either team could go. I think, But I do give Senegal the, the slight advantage. That game goes on Tuesday, so by the time that some of you are listening to this podcast, it might already have taken place, those two matches, that's 7am kickoff. The other, Let me know if I'm right. <laughs> yes, the other games on Tuesday are in Group B, they're 11am Pacific Time kickoff. The Group B games, wow, Iran 2, Wales 0. I did um, not expect that after the, their result against England. I, I, I didn't be... expect that after the first half. That was horrible, yeah. but it was such an enjoyable second half. Yeah. But yeah, after that result against England, where we, we pondered was it with their minds elsewhere, how good were England? We still don't really have an answer to that last question. I mean, it didn't have the excitement of some of the other games, but it did have a lot of action, end-to-end stuff, a lot of talking points. This was the Iran that I expected to see in this tournament, though, because they've yeah. been strong in qualifying. They looked like they had a had had a weight lifted off them. They sang the national anthem. Was that maybe something that kind of lifted a weight off them? They deserved all three points, big time. Wales were pretty disappointing. Iran hit the right post and then the left post in one stunning attack. And they pushed hard in the second half. Wales made history, though, by having the first player, and so far only player, sent off in the tournament when Wayne Hennessy, their goalkeeper, saw a late red card. I think it was maybe a 40th anniversary nod to Harold Schumacher and his flattening of Battiston at the 1982 World Cup. Still haven't forgotten that or forgiven the Germans. It looked like 10 men Wales were going to hold on. Iran, though, hit twice at the death. Chesney fired him ahead with a 98th minute long ranger. The first goal scored this tournament from outside the box. And then three minutes later, a 2-on-2 breakaway quickly turned into a 4-on-2 breakaway. And Ramin Razilan scored Iran second, sent them into dreamland. And, yeah, well-deserved. Yeah, for sure. And so um, I, I was a little surprised that, like I said, I, I ran. But the thing is, if you think of it, you lose 6-2, you lose 2-0, it's still a loss, whatever the case is. It's just sure. that they didn't look very good. So you didn't expect anything from the second game. Because uh, a lot of things can change from the qualifying to the actual tournament. And so in this case, uh, you're right. This is the Iran that we expected to see that potentially could go through and still could go through. Interestingly, Cramp hit both the teams pretty hard. Uh, it was the early kickoff, so I'm glad to see the, the back of that. 
The other game in the group, England nil, USA nil. The battle of the obnoxious social media fan bases <laughs> and media. Um, we said after the first game, or I said, that I don't know how much you could read into that as to how good England were. I, I genuinely still don't know if they're a good team or not. The US were the better side for chunks of this one, and they made them look quite ordinary. P- Pusilic hit the bar with a, a great shot in the first half, but it wasn't a very good game. That's the thing. Yeah, I, I didn't... Like, I know people would say England and, like, the US played were the better team, but it wasn't very much to choose from. Um, they just happened to, like, stifle England, and England was not able to get through at all at any point to break them down. There was a few, maybe a couple times they were able to get, get through into the final third, but... You just remember, uh, the most thing I remember from that game is just the England passing back and forth in their own end and not being able to move it forward. And They were also booed they... off the park by their supporters as well. Yeah, I, I, Top of the I, group I, on four points and you're booing your team off. Because I, I feel like they, they wanted England to be a little bit more adventurous and, 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 get, and not just be too careful. I felt like they were being too careful, which made USA look better than they were. Mm. Yeah, because USA... I didn't think were that good against Wales, but they certainly looked a lot better in this one. I mean, the group- I, I feel like I feel like if USA played this against any of the other teams that were like the number one team in the group, I don't think they would have like, they would have survived. I think other teams like Spain or Germany or like the top teams they would have broken the US down. England's not capable of doing that. No, England though they're leading the group in four. Iran yeah. second on three, US third and two, Wales bottom on one. It's England Wales, but Wales need to win by three goals. Yeah, that's going to be hard. So yeah. I think England's in the driver's seat to make it through. Yeah, they're um, pretty much it's, through. It's really Iran and USA. Do Iran play for the draw and and, and clinch it, or do they like like it's going to be USA is going to have to break down Iran at this place. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game plan. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if the U, does US pressure high. And keep them like open themselves up for the counterattack, which Iran has shown they can do now, especially. Or do they sit back and wait for the Iran to make a mistake? It'll be interesting to see. I, I fancy Iran to do this. When Iran beat them the last time, which I think was in '98, I actually had money on Iran, so I won some money on them. That's good. I, I fancy them to do it. Have you seen the stuff in the build-up though, with no. all about the Iranian flag? The only thing I, I haven't seen anything about the flag. I know somebody was uh, the flag was taken away from somebody or something like that. that no, was well, yeah, that was in the stadium. But uh, yeah. America's U.S. soccer social media tweeted out a picture of the old Iranian flag without the Islamic Republic symbol on it. Oh, and I they see. said they were doing that in solidarity of the protests in the country and women's rights. Oh. So Iran, furious launched uh, a complaint to FIFA looking for the US to be kicked out of the tournament because they said it oh, was... Oh, I didn't hear this part. I probably missed this part. Yeah, they, they said it was racist. Um, and then they've they've taken down the tweet now and Greg Berhalter had to apologise at his press conference but was very keen to stress that him, the players and all the backroom team had nothing to do with that post. They knew nothing about it and they didn't agree with it. Yeah, and and the thing is, is the other thing, funny thing, apparently, from they came from that uh, that media scrum or something like that. Somebody was asking Greg Berhalter when he's gonna, uh, when are they gonna move the naval blockade that for Iran? 
And like, like, what's Greg Bolthalter going to say yeah. about the naval blockade? That's why so DJ just phone Joe Adams Biden retweeted that. Yeah, exactly. Because the thing is, like, going back to the flag, a lot of people in America have played it down, saying it's no big deal. We're just showing solidarity to that. Yeah, but what if, if somebody done something to their flag? Yeah, flip that around. If someone did that to the American flag and said, we're doing that because of your anti-abortion stance, or if they did it to the Canadian flag and said, because of all the indigenous children that died, we're, yeah. we're altering the maple leaf and stuff, they'd be outraged. So you've got yeah. to like think well, about this kind of stuff. You could do the same comment for the Americans too about the indigenous people being... Well, yeah, exactly. So, so it's... So, like, and, so. But see, this is the thing. There's all this hand-wringing from these countries. And I, I was listening to one of the Scottish podcasts I listened to, Off the Ball in BBC Scotland, and they made a very interesting point because there's obviously been a lot of stuff made about this World Cup going to Qatar and the lack of gay rights there. England hosted the World Cup in 1966 where homosexuality was illegal in the UK and it only became decriminalised in 1967. Yeah. So it's happened all over. Anyway. Don't want to be accused of more anti-English bias, as I'm often accused of on the podcast. Hello, Peter Seward, who's always saying I'm very anti-English. Angus Walker as well. I don't, I don't know where that came from, Steve, that people think that I, I'm anti-English. No, I don't recall anything. No, <laughs> I don't like their national team. It's a rivalry. Just like... Whitecaps fans don't like Seattle and Portland. It's a rivalry. Man U fans don't like Man City fans and vice versa. It's a rivalry. But I, I don't want to be thought of as being anti-English, so I'm going to bring you wavelength a little bit earlier now in the show. And for those unaware, our wavelength section is where we play a song about football by a band or it could be by a team or whatever. And we often have a theme as well. So this month's theme is World Cup songs. Now, I'll say this now, I'll preface this now, this song may cause some offence to some people, so if you're easily offended, just fast forward, probably not suitable for work, blah, blah, blah. But I, I wanted to play an English World Cup song, just to show that I don't have any anti-English feelings. And it's friends of the show, Steve. Cunt and the gang, they're back. This is a song that they released in both 2006 for the World Cup in Germany and 2010 for the, the World Cup in South Africa. And it's just a song to encourage the English fans. And it's called Let's Have a Wank for England. My dad told me a secret back in 1966. Before every England World Cup game, he wanked his hairy prick. And to this day, he still maintains he helped him win the cup. He spunked into a football sock to save him mopping up. So this year, before the warm-up games, I copied my old man. And we beat the Mexicans and flew to win over Japan. So if we wank for luck, how can it hurt? Unless your copy's sore. Take your helmet in your hand and think of Bobby Moore. South Africa and win the World Cup And pray a baby Jeebus Barry's injury heals up I'm gonna wank my veiny pipe until it spunks up 
to help us win the cup for England. Let's have a wank, let's have a wank, let's have a wank for England. It might bring us luck if you give your hand a fuck. We'll make it a success and there's nothing to lose except your mess. Then I don't care if John Terry's cock's out of control or Rooney likes fucking nans. I wouldn't care if Capello was a nonce. If he brings a World Cup home, he can do what the fuck he wants. Now Rio has got injured, people don't give us a prayer. But come on Lennon, get a crossing, Crouch will win it in the air. He'll knock it down to Rooney who will tee up Stevie G. And as he scores I'll strangle my sausage till it does a sexy wee. Let's go to South Africa and win the World Cup And if it goes to penalties, hope we don't fuck it up I'm gonna wank my stiffy off until it spunks up To help us win the cup for England Let's have a wank, let's have a wank Let's have a wank for England It might bring us luck if you wank and chuck your muck We'll make it a success Kent and the gang there, let's have a wank for England. Released, as I mentioned, in 2006 and 2010. Trying to encourage a way, Steve, to, to get England. It's like his dad did it in 1966 and they won the World Cup. I'm surprised that people haven't taken that on board because there's a lot of wankers in England. So you'd think they would be world champions more than they are already yeah. just the once. Totally can understand that. There's also another version of that song that was released in 2008 called I've Had My Last Wank for England after they didn't qualify for the Euros. So maybe I'll, I'll give that a little airing as well once England are out of the well, competition. Also, you could play it during the Euros in a couple of years as well. Hmm. You can also find that song on their 2009 album, Here's One I Knocked Out Earlier. Let's get back to the football chat just to round up this part with a look at Group C. Poland 2, Saudi Arabia 0. A goal in each half saw the Poles get all three points. Their first in the 39th from Zelensky was against the runner play after the Saudis were playing some nice stuff. In the end, they sealed the deal with eight minutes remaining as Robert Lewandowski got his first ever World Cup goal. You saw what it meant to him. You saw what it meant to the fans. Also now ties Pele on 77 international goals, although I'm sure Pele will somehow find another 10 goals that he scored against some small country that we don't know about. That seems to happen all the time. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of obviously Saudi Arabia coming off that high against beating Argentina. Obviously, there was a little bit of a letdown. Um, so, you know, Poland was able to take advantage and you're right. It's, uh, I didn't realize Lewandowski coming into this tournament, that Lewandowski never scored. No, I, I totally either didn't know or had forgotten that fact, but I mean, it's maybe nice that you got that. Yeah. Cause maybe I merged the, the Euro, the goals he might've scored in the European yes. competitions with the world cup. And I realized, I thought he scored more than in the international competitions, but yeah, good for him. Um, yeah, he, he, I think he got stopped on a penalty against Mexico earlier yes. in the tournament. So yeah. kind of similar similar uh, to Alfonso's former teammate, Alfonso Davies, where they got stopped on a penalty and scored in open play. 
Saudis didn't look too bad. Poland haven't let a goal in in the competition yet. Yeah. Uh, Argentina 2, Mexico 0. Two second half goals from Argentina. First cracking long ranger from Messi. Got their first points of the tournament. Mexico had done well in the first half in a very physical game. But I think from a Mexican point of view, I I think if they'd been a bit braver, they could have maybe got something from this game. They seemed scared to open up, and then they went one behind, they had to open up, and then they lost the second goal. They just ended up giving... I don't know, they didn't give a good account themselves. They they didn't want to give Messi space, and they were punished for that. Yeah, it's showing too much respect to yeah. the to the other opposition and not trusting yourself. Similar Saudi Arabia and in, in, and that's the thing with the difference between Saudi Arabia and Mexico. Uh, Saudi Arabia probably felt in going into that second half, especially against Argentina, that they had nothing to lose. So let's just go out and play it out. Whereas uh, Mexico probably think of them as a better side, so they feel like they can score something and get good results. So they play a little bit more scared. So sometimes these teams need to play a little bit less with fear and just play to their level. Poland now lead the group on four points. Argentina second on three points. Saudi also have three points. Mexico's bottom on one. All four teams could still advance. Poland play Argentina. Mexico play Saudi Arabia. That's 11 a.m. Pacific time on Wednesday. Who you got in this one? This was difficult because I could see Poland and Argentina drawing. And so if that happens, then Argentina is in big, uh, big danger because I think possibly any, uh, a win by Saudi Arabia or uh, definitely a win by Saudi Arabia puts Argentina out and win by Mexico could potentially put them out too, depending how many goals they win by. So, and, and Poland's not safe either because if they lose, uh, they could be knocked out too, depending on the result of the game. So this one's a really where you have to have two screens. And you got to watch both games at the yeah. same time. I, I think Mexico's been pretty disappointing. And yeah. I, I could see the Saudis beating them. But at the same time, Mexico could just suddenly come from nowhere, turn on a great performance. And if there's a winner in that other match, then who knows? Could even end up drawing lots for goal difference or whatever. And, and that's the thing that with goes. the Mexico-Saudi game, which makes it really like a, a you know tasty matchup. Is because both teams know they need they can win if, they, if potentially Mexico needs to win in order to get through. While Saudi Arabia, if they win, they get through automatically. So, three groups down, four groups left to look at. We'll continue with Group D after this. Hi, I'm Mike Dean. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. From here 
so far away Time to work and work there Welcome back to the final part of this episode of There's Still Time, the AFT and Soccer Show and kicking off this part, it's our last song it's always the sad time of the month the last song from our Arts of the Month from London, England, Swede I kept the best to last it's my favourite track by Swede it's the last track on their self-titled debut album from 1993 The Next Life see you in the next life and we'll see Canada at the next World Cup. They've still got a game to go, though. <laughs> we've got four groups left to look at, and two of the groups, we've got a lot to look at, because they've had lots of games played since our last episode. But we're going to start with Group D. Australia 1, Tunisia 0. Somehow, the Aussies got through this one unscathed, with their first World Cup Finals win since 2010 and their first clean sheet in the tournament since 1974 in a red-hot atmosphere. The Tunisian fans, like the Moroccan fans, have been absolutely phenomenal throughout this competition. Mitchell Duke got the 23rd-minute winner for Australia. Fantastic twist and header. Not really a lot to talk about in this one. No, but it was surprising. I I didn't think Australia would get the win. I thought Tunisia, after their last showing, I thought they would do more better in this game. I France, think they're basically out at this point. Yeah. France 2, Denmark 1. France became the second team to book the spot in the round of 16 with a hard-fought victory over Denmark. Not a great first half, certainly better in the second. And Mbappé double did the damage. Opened the score and just passed the hour mark. The Danes levelled through Andreas Christensen seven minutes later. And then the French got their deserved winner with four minutes to go. France now top Group D with a 100% record and six points. The rest is very much all to play for, though. Australia, amazingly, are second on three. They play Denmark, who are on a single point. And should be the winner of that one moves on. Tunisia, also on a point, now play France. It's hard to see them getting that. Although you don't know what France might put out there. Yeah, exactly. The France is because they're dealing dealing with a lot of niggles and they've already lost a lot of people to injury. Do they put like a, a second unit out there? and try to see if what they can do. And they don't even care if they do lose or not at that point. And that's where it could really put a wrench in the, uh, in the, in the works, because um, if, if Tunisia does pull out a victory, does that mean that and if the other team goes draw, draw, does that make a like change everything? Cause I don't, yeah. I think Australia's goal differential is not very good. Cause I think they lost by a couple of goals. Right? Well, or two, that's three. the thing. Like right now, see if Australia, if France win and Australia draw, Australia is going through, through. With a minus two goal difference. Exactly, yeah. It's just but, but it, baffling. But if Tunisia pulls off the upset and and Denmark and Australia draw, then Tunisia's through. Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah, it would be. I was going to say it come to goal reference, but no, it would be. It would be Tunisia that's through. If Denmark yeah. win, they'll be through. Yeah. Oh. Lots to play for. And, yeah. and the fact that France already qualified or are through it makes it more interesting in this yeah. case. I, I think the Denmark-Australia game is going to be horrible because yeah. the Aussies are just going to be so defensive and they're just going to go for that point. That's a 7am game on Wednesday as well. That's maybe not one to get up super early for. <laughs> um, Group E. So this is a very, very interesting group as well. 
it's good that we've got all, all this interest, but Japan nil, Costa Rica won, which, I mean, we talked last episode about shock results. This is a stunner. Yes. Because Especially how terrible Costa Rica were. And how Japan beat Germany. Like, what, like I, I can't believe Japan had such a letdown. They were in the driver's seat. A win against Costa Rica would have put them through, I think. Yeah. Almost virtually. So that's where it was like a major shocker to me. Uh, that they, It was a they... horrible first half of football as well. Yeah. As and a lot of give... them have been. There's been 17 goalless first halves in the 32 games so far. Yeah. And some and of the second they're... halves haven't been great. <laughs> and then Costa Rica wins with the only shot they've had in the tournament so yep. far. Like they're basically shooting 100% right now at this point. It's... Amazing. And yeah. it was it's Keisher Fuller the that got the goal. Felt for the Japanese fans who again were excellent. Costa Rica outpossessed, outshot, outpassed, one shot on target in the whole tournament, but yet they they've got a chance of going through a slim slim yeah. chance, I would say though. Um Spain won, Germany won, which was the, the big game of the group, and I think Going into the tournament, it's the the game that was meant to decide which one of these two would finish first in the group and which one would finish second. Heading into it, Germany were in peril, but that Costa Rica win gave them a lot more wiggle room and made them a lot more alive than they probably thought they were going to be. Spain hit the bar early. Germany had a goal disallowed. Spain took the lead in the 62nd minute, but then Niklaus Fulkrug levelled with seven minutes to go. And all of a sudden, Germany's right back in it. And you've got to say they're kind of favourites to go through now because they're playing Costa Rica. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like um, Japan needs to have like one of those same things that they had uh, when it comes to like the way they played against Germany in order to pull an upset. Otherwise, I think it's almost... I don't see how Germany can even draw against Costa Rica. I, th- I think they would they have their... I, like I, or I should say, I don't see how Costa Rica could draw against Germany. Um, I I see them as heavy favorites at this point to win this game and get through. Yeah, and Spain Japan is going to be interesting. Spain obviously just need a point to go through. I mean, Japan if they just go for it, they, they've nothing to lose. They have they're going to have to go for it basically. And that's and that's where it could open them up to more uh, uh, counterattacks, and Spain punishes them at that point. And that's an 11 a.m. Pacific time we're on Thursday, so that's that's good. The last two groups are the groups we haven't talked about yet in the show because when we brought the last episode out, groups G and H hadn't played any games. So we'll rattle through the four in each one and any talking points, which for some sure. of the games there's not been a lot. But no. then we'll look at the lie of the land. So group G, Switzerland won, Cameroon now. It was not a classic. The main talking point being Mbolo, the Cameroon-born player that moved to France with his mum when he was six. She married a, a Swiss national. He became Swiss. He scored the goal that broke Cameroon hearts, and his dad still lives in Cameroon. And you could tell it was an emotional moment for him. He didn't really know how to process it. it it's tough. Yeah, definitely. A lot of mixed emotions there. And then obviously the other game in that day was Brazil and Serbia. Uh, Brazil... Uh, it. it Brazil didn't look very comfortable, but um, they also didn't look in danger either. And they won 2-0 with a couple of goals in the 62nd and 73rd minute. Yeah, I, I'd been going on about Serbia because I'd mentioned that Dino, my complex manager, had said they're going to do it this time. 
And for three halves of football from their four so far, I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and then stoppage time today, just we saw the Serbia that he was talking about. But we'll, I mean, we'll come to that now because it's Serbia three, Cameroon three, one of the games of the tournament. Both sides couldn't afford to lose. Cameroon changed their goalkeeper for this one after head coach Roberta Song wanted what he said was a more traditional goalkeeper after the goalkeeper in their first match. 41% of his touches were outside of his box, <laughs> which for a goalkeeper is like, what? Yeah, I did not notice that. Well, maybe I don't think I watched the Cameroon Switzerland game that much, so that's why. Uh, but yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but this goalkeeper, obviously, I guess, play was untradi- untraditional as well, letting so many goals in, especially yes. at the stoppage time in the first half. Well, I mean, Serbia dominated from the start. They cracked one off the post. They couldn't get the breakthrough. Cameroon looked a bit toothless, but then they stunningly took the lead when Castelletto finished at the back post. And then first half stoppage time, something in Serbia just flicked a switch and they equalised a minute into first half stoppage time with a great header their first attempt on target in three halves of football like Costa Rica then two minutes later they led when Sersic fired home Alexander Mitrovic got an easy goal in the 53rd and you thought oh well that's it now Serbia's home and dry then a bizarre goal in the 63rd minute for Vincent Abubakar who I think he thought he was offside, had a lovely finish, flag went up for offside, and then VAR's like, oh no, he was onside, and the goal stood. Then yeah. three minutes later, they're level, chupamoting, Bayern Munich guy, Zach was in the stadium cheering him on, 3 all. what a match. Yeah, crazy match, back and forth. It wasn't the uh, first ma- last match of that today. That, that had that kind of crazy feeling, but yeah. it was, yeah, listen, listen, just like back and forth, it was really fun to watch. And then the last game of the group, Brazil won Switzerland nil. Neymar missing for the last two group games at least. Obviously, I did not shed many tears over that. Makes Brazil a lot more likeable to, to cheer for when he's not on the pitch. This was another horrible game. Brazil yeah. thought they had the lead in the 64th. VAR struck again. The commentators were so annoying with it, though, because the referee reviewed VAR. He had his hand up, which is the standard signal that it's offside, and he pointed to the ground, and the commentators got the goal's given. It's like, no, it's clearly not. He's got his hand up for offside. And then the commentators were baffled as to why the referee hadn't been more clear. He couldn't have been more clearer. Anyway, that's just another rant from me. Um... Casemiro finally got the breakthrough with seven minutes remaining. Brazil have now not only kept two clean sheets, they've not allowed a single shot on target in their first two matches. Yeah, and that's a, that's the thing about Brazil that people don't realize. Everybody thinks, oh, they're you know they're attacking team, they're but they're always a very strong defensive team. I think the the one the times they are uh, like don't succeed in these tournaments is when they're defense is lacking and this this year it's been like very clear they, you know they're playing against serbia who was probably and the thing is they're the attacking way also scares the opponent so they're uh, you, you imagine how much they're putting through they're just just to stop brazil instead of uh playing for like it's a whole too much respect for their well, opponent yeah it's the whole mexico messi thing yeah it's like you're, you're putting too much focus on brazil to stop them scoring without actually trying to think how are we gonna score 
Exactly. In Brazil, Poland and Morocco are the only teams not to give a goal up so far, which is tremendous for them. I mean, Brazil's through now with their six points and barring a shock win for Cameroon over them, it's basically a winner goes through shootout now between Serbia and Switzerland. Switzerland's on three points, Serbia's on one. If either team get the win, they should go through. A draw, though, is also good for the Swiss. But they can't sit back and go for that draw because Serbia showed in those glimpses today that they're very dangerous. For sure, 100%. I, I'm sticking with Serbia. I'm sticking with what Dino's told me and they're going to go through. But yeah, I'd love uh, I, Cameroon I don't know. to shock Brazil and it was Cameroon that went through instead. Yeah, but the thing is with me is that Switzerland plays that, you know, that style that like really stifles people and I don't know if Serbia can handle that. It's it's interesting like of a middle it's an interesting matchup between two middle tier European sides. Mm. And so it'll be interesting to that see who it happens but it, I'll, I'll I'll go with you and I'll say Serbia as well because of the fact that I'll I'll, I'll trust your uh, friend. <laughs> Last group, Group H, which I've got to say, by half time of the second game of this group, I was ready to christen it the group of dearth because there was a sin- severe dearth of enjoyment in any of the games. There was just no <laughs> entertainment in it at all. It was Uruguay nil, South Korea nil in an absolutely horrible match that had one shot on target between the two teams and that went the South Americans' way. But then the second half of Portugal, Ghana restored some faith. Because I'd said to you I wasn't excited by this group and I was like, this is why. But now it's got a lot more exciting. Yeah. Portugal 3, Ghana 2. What a second half. And I will grudgingly say Portugal were the deserved winners. They dominated the first half against Ghana. That seemed like they'd be happy with a scoreless draw. Talking about not going for it again. Ronaldo got a goal, rightfully I, disallowed I, in the I, first half. I question the penalty call, though, because I feel yes. like the Ghanaian defender did get the part of the ball. So the, I don't understand why some some games have been where the player gets a part of the ball and some they don't. So that's why I just questioned that a little bit. That's the only question about it. But all, all, totally enjoyable second half of that game. Yeah. It was a, a Portuguese one-two punch yeah. as well, but Ghana got themselves right back into it and then they couldn't find the equaliser in the end. Nine minutes of time added on. Diogo Costa nearly cost his side when Williams did a little sneak attack when he tried to roll the ball out and he didn't know that Williams was behind him. He just sneaked in but then fell over. That would have been a fantastic goal. I'd have been happy with that. Portugal had taken the lead from that spot, as you say. And Although I can't stand Ronaldo... I've got to give him a nod for scoring in five World Cups. The first player to score in five different World Cups. First man. Yeah, first man. (laughs) It is one hell of an achievement. For sure. I still can't stand him. So the second lot of matches, another barn burner today, Ghana 3, Korea 2. I was expecting to fast forward through a lot of the games today, but then they were so good I couldn't. Yeah, though this was was like a, a, a crazy finale too. Uh, oh. With a coach being sent off. Yes. 1-0 for Ghana against a run of play in the 24th minute after a nice little bit of trickery on the free kick with a kind of fate going one way, then Jordan Ayew went the other. There was a check, a very long check for handball. That would have been harsh because the guy knew very little about it. But Salisu's goal stood. Ten minutes later, 
It was 2-0, Akuda's header. One of the deliveries of the tournament in from Jordan Ayew onto that. And yeah. you thought, there we go. Ghana's in dreamland. Korea, quite disappointing for me in this whole tournament, but especially in this game. And then from nowhere, two goals in three minutes from Gusung Cho in the 58th. And then three minutes later, both headers drew them level. Ghana then fought back to retake the lead through Kudus again in the 68th minute after a, a very fortunate mishit from Williams that if he'd, he just squaffed the ball and it ran through to Kudus to score. And then yeah, it was Ghana, just like a... Like, he, he'll probably say I, I was playing a dummy to the other player, but uh, clearly it wasn't. Yeah. Ghana did a great job defending that 11 minutes of stoppage time, but that wasn't enough minutes of stoppage time for the Korean head coach, Paolo Bento, who wanted more after Korea got a corner and then the yeah. English referee blew and wouldn't let them take it. But but the thing is, I don't understand, is that it's up to the coach uh, referee's discretion when he blows the whistle. He doesn't have to give that final corner if he doesn't. It feels like yeah. maybe maybe he was supposed to call the whistle even earlier than that, and he didn't. But you know, that's a... And, and the and the Korean players and the coach just went off on him. Yeah, like the Korean players showed a little bit of respect, but the uh, I think it's a Portuguese co- uh, manager that they have, Bento. Yeah, and he just went off on him, and I think there was some kind of contact, and that's why he got the red card because he was poking at his chest. The, the and thing, I don't know if he made contact or not. I would say though, is in stoppage time, there was a Ghanaian player went down, and on the PVR. I put it forward three times. So that's three times 30 seconds because yeah. he was down getting treatment. But he only added on a minute instead of 90. So I, you could argue Again, it was another 30, but it is referee's discretion. It, it's referee's discretion. And, and I've seen it where if, if something happens in injury time where it's like maybe they add two-thirds of that stoppage time to it, they don't have to add every single second to it. Yeah. So I've seen that before. I don't know with the new rules about adding every single second that it is, but... Um, again, referee's discretion. He didn't blow it early. Um, he didn't definitely didn't blow it in the 89th minute. So, like some referees, like we mentioned last show, do. Uh, but he he definitely did it too early for the South Korean manager. Then the last game of the day and the last game of the second round of group matches: Uruguay nil, Portugal two. A brace from Bruno Fernandes. Well-deserved win for Portugal. Uh, they're through now with six points. I couldn't stand the second goal, though. It was that penalty where he does the hop, skip, and the, oh, you know, stand I there. Hate those. I, I fucking hate those at all. Yeah. And, and and the funniest thing about that goal, in the you know, when they show the replay of the uh, the the fans after the goal, they showed the Uruguayan ones, and they were, they were like, actually oh, flipping the bird off yeah. at people or something. They so were they losing right it big time. They got the, they got that right on camera during slow motion. I love that. Do you know though who the Uruguayan fans should be pissed off at? Their own fucking team. Yeah. Because I think so. there's three teams yet to score this World Cup, and they're one of them. Yeah. Mexico's another, and Tunisia's the other one. But it's like Uruguay have been woeful, absolutely yeah. woeful. Like I like the thing is their scores are like we talked about it before. I think I mentioned it in the uh, the pregame, like the, when we did the preview. They're a very old side, like that. Especially their attackers. Like you got Cavani and you got Suarez. There, there might be still quality with their club side, uh, but club side and, and international play is different. Like you yeah. got thir- two thirty-five-year-olds, and that's who you're expecting to get most of your goals. Like if you take th- those two out of your 
uh, you know, lineup, uh, the other players combined for seven goals uh, in international play in their, st- in their goal scoring. You're starting to sound like Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, well, but they're 35. You got to bring in some young guys and put them in a position to score goals. You I... can't rely on the start. Like, I can't believe that. Like, I don't know if Suarez started the first game, but Cavani started this game, and I don't see how you put him in that lineup. You needed to get more players yeah. to running up and down the pitch. For, for anyone that doesn't know what we're saying about De Bruyne, he's basically said that Belgium's not going to win anything because the team's too old. And he Which, was a self. He basically predicted correctly because they lost, like I said, they lost yeah. before we lost, lost to Morocco. But in Group H, Portugal's now through, and this is a, a tasty one as well. So Portugal are going to be playing South Korea, and you've got to think it's all over for South Korea because Ghana. But they Uruguay, could be resting again. But well, they could again, be resting again. Yeah, they could. Like and I don't see why they would. You would and... Yeah, I don't see why you would put Ronaldo. In that game against, uh, in, in that third game, what's the point of starting him or anything like that? Unless you're going to start him for the sake of having, having another game, but, but I would but not say put him... Portugal lost by two and then yeah. Ghana won by two, then all of a sudden Portugal's second in the group. Yeah, that's true. You got a point there, but still, I, w- I would, I would be careful about Portugal start because you're gonna, the, the games after this round, they come in really fast. Um, yeah. like I, like I don't like essentially. I think December 6th is when these guys would play, or 5th or 6th. And if you look at it, they're playing on December 2nd. That's only a three, four-day turnaround. So while, yes, you might be finishing second might not be the greatest thing. Um, and, you you know, if you finish second, you might play Brazil um, in the first round. But you, you also got to realize that maybe put a little bit of more faith in your younger players and, and rest your Ronaldo for that first game. Cause that, yeah, I think they probably will. Because they, yeah, they, what they don't want is him either getting kicked off the pitch or him getting a stupid red card. Yeah. Um, or a yellow that could then cost him later on as well. But we, we've got the big grudge match. You had said this is what you were looking forward to in this group before this it was standing for so much. Ghana, yeah. Uruguay. And the way that Ghana have played in their two games... And the way that Uruguay's played, you've got to think Ghana's big favourites now. And I hope and they can, I, think, I, I hope I, they absolutely fuck them over. I believe they they are the they're the team I I had for going through at the beginning too. So I'm hoping they prove me right. And because uh, I had Ghana, I I didn't have very much faith in Uruguay at all. Whilst I love the fact that Uruguay hosted the first World Cup, and I think they should host the 2030 World Cup. It's the hundredth year anniversary. And Montevideo looks an absolutely beautiful city with the mist covering it. And I read a nice book about the first World Cup from a, a guy whose dad lived and worked there. I've always hated Uruguay since the 1986 World Cup when they kicked Scotland off the park. And got a, I think they got a man sent off like in the first minute, if I remember right. It was like 56 seconds or something they got a guy sent off. And Scotland couldn't capitalise because they just kept getting kicked off the park. So I've hated them since then. So I really, really hope Ghana do this. But again, you're talking about not the people of Uruguay or this country or anything. You're talking about the team on the pitch. The yes. actual team. Yes. So yeah, again, just to reiterate what you talked about England before. I don't have a Uruguay wavelength song that I can play. I'll, I'll okay. see if I can dig one of those out. But that is it for our World Cup roundup. That is pretty much it for this show this week. Just before we go, Steve, any final thoughts? Anything else that caught your eye that we haven't talked about? 
Um, not, nothing really, but I just like you know just reiterate the comment from earlier. You you fuck with a bear, uh, a, a, you know, and poke a fucking sleeping bear, um, you're going to get killed by that bear. Yes, and Canada did. Give Steve a follow on White Cat's Beat on Twitter. Give me a follow at AFT in Canada on Twitter. And like, subscribe, turn on notifications, etc. on youtube.com backslash Canada and AFTN.ca for all our written stuff as well. I mean, how much football is too much football, Steve? Are you, you footballed out already or are you ready for more? No, not really, because I, I have to watch the games while I'm working. So I'm, I'm, I'm not like just sitting there and watching. It's nice to be in the background. I, I, I'm able to follow the game and catch the goals and everything like that. Um, so I, I don't feel like it's been too much. If I was like had the time off and was watching every game and not sleeping, then maybe it might be too much mm. for me. I, I've been struggling to fit everything in because obviously there's the four games a day and yep. I'm not getting up early for them. So I'm PVRing them. And this week I've managed to avoid spoilers. So I've done well with that. Yeah. Um, but it's also been the FA Cup and the Scottish Cup this weekend. The Scottish Cup apart from a game today that I've still got to catch up with. Hasn't been televised, but the FA Cup was. So I've been watching tons of that at night once Caitlin's gone to bed. I was at a VMSL game on Friday night. Check the highlights up on YouTube, which you actually should. Coquitlam Mitra Ford against BB5 United. League leaders against defending champions. Six goals, an absolute worldie. And... I'm way more enjoyable game of football than some of the ones at the World Cup, so check that one out. But I'm I'm starting to get footballed out a little bit. Once we get down to the knockout stages, it's going to reinvigorate me, I hope. But that is it for the show. We're not going to be back with a show after Canada's last game. Made the call on that just because it's not counting for anything and we've obviously done a couple of really long shows off late. Might do an extra podcast for our extra subscribers post-game for that. We'll see how that goes. But we will be back soon with another episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. Enjoy the World Cup. And still, despite what TSN say, Allez la Rouge! Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.
E F T F.